episode 94 of Future Chat. Mike, uh, a couple of amazing things have happened in the last, well, since the end of March, let's say. Um, I think it's only right after teasing for a really long time last episode, the fact that we were going to talk about Tesla and then never talking about it. Uh, SpaceX also had a mission this past week. And it kind of went under my radar until about 24 hours beforehand. Yeah, I didn't hear anything about it leading out to it either. Yeah. So uh, for, the, for the curious, for the people who, how I don't understand how you could, but who are not aware of what SpaceX did, uh, they sent a, actually, I think it just rendezvoused this morning. They sent a, pa- a payload up to the International Space Station resupply mission on the, the fa- or the SpaceX Dragon, which is their sort of uh not people not just communication satellite but like an actual heavy kind of payload thing they sent up uh the 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 falcon 9 rocket again and make their fifth attempt i think it is now to land on an autonomous drone ship in the ocean and i don't know about you mike i started watching this webcast because Ever since I discovered that they were on YouTube live streaming, I've been watching them like nonstop, no matter what I'm doing. And so Julia and I were ready to go to the grocery store. So I was sitting here watching on my computer and then we had to go. So I pulled it up on my phone and I was watching and got into the car as they were doing the final count, the final countdown. And I swear, Julia turned on the car's ignition within three seconds like not trying to but within three seconds of the actual liftoff like it was timed so perfectly (laughs) and i got we we got to the parking lot and they were about to do the experimental landing i was like can we just wait can we please just sit here in the car for 30 seconds and see if they did it and at that point i knew full well that uh the live video had had kind of cut out because it gets the there's you know it's rough seas and it's not always a great uh, it's not always great to do a live video feed from the ocean when there's a rocket ship landing, like all kinds of things can go wrong. Uh, the video can, has just cut out in the past as soon as it happens. Um, whether or not that's related to the, the combustion of an aircraft nearby, uh, remains to be seen, but it turns out for this video, they also had, I guess it was probably another drone, like a drone plane, uh, hovering above they call it I think, okay chase cam or something Is it, was that new for this one yeah that was new oh, okay because i saw that was a view that i saw all the replays on right and i'm like with the video cutting out if that was where they were that shouldn't have cut out but no, yeah, yeah if that was, was new for this one okay yeah it was the one on the actual barge that right they had, had seen but the video always cut out but so yeah this this chase cam was was a great vantage point to watch it and i guess that that's kind of the thing that they were planning they're kind of working out the kinks, not only in the actual mission and the rocket itself, but also the presentation of it. And I, I noticed it's funny after the after the first and maybe the second attempt, they stopped showing the video of the explosions of the rocket, because I guess that's probably bad PR to see the rockets continue to, to explode. And but so in this case, um, we didn't get to see any fiery explosions because the landing was basically perfect yeah when i saw the replay of it it was like perfect parabola and then bunk, yeah. like it was like vertical right when it landed it was like you, you couldn't model it better no exactly it was, it was and 
I guess as far as the operation, I think there's some confusion over how the drone ship operates because one, you know, explanation video said that, you know, the rocket's landing and kind of doing maneuvering and the drone ship's also maneuvering to land under. But then someone said, oh, well, no, it's just trying to maintain a single position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Okay. It, and then the then yeah. the rocket's doing all the maneuvering to actually do the landing. The 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 drone ship is autonomous, but I think right. it's much more it, – it's trying to be stationary kind In of the geographically. One spot. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. And – it was beautiful. But so, so as I'm in the car, I was used to the video feed cutting out. And then I noticed they had this chase cam for, for this launch. And so we're sitting there in the car. And then all of a sudden, as it's about, like, as it's basically as it's touching the platform, YouTube freezes. And I'm sure this is just me. Like it wasn't the actual stream cutting out. It might have been the actual stream cutting out. But for a second there, I just had the buffering thing on the video. And I like it was unclear because we, in the, the one video where it landed and then just kind of the, the leg didn't clip in. And so it toppled. It looked exactly like that. And so I was just like, what happened? Did, it, did they do it or not? And so I had to wait like 30 seconds. We were actually in Loblaws when I finally got to, like, I went back 10 seconds and then it unfroze and I was able to watch it. And like, I was just, I was so excited. I actually did tear up in the grocery store just thinking about how awesome this is for like the future of space. I, I get that, uh, like Blue Origin has done, now they've launched a rocket into space and landed it a third time, the same rocket a third time. But this just seems so different. Like it's so they're doing it live in front of everybody. They have a bunch of HD cameras streaming. They they have like engineers talking about it in the command center where they have a bunch of engineer or a couple of engineers talking about it like or PR slash probably have some engineering knowledge based on how they talk. And then there's just like a crowd of people at SpaceX just cheering like crazy at every like not only the fact that they were able to launch it and the fact that uh, like when they would say everything's good, they would obviously cheer, but they're also cheering like every little thing that happens right with the mission. Mm-hmm. And it's just so cool to see like, like a huge group of people like that all on this one goal. Yeah, I it, I think the difference to me is where SpaceX is actually in these demonstrations, there's utility to what they're doing. Like yeah. they're actually doing something Whereas Blue Origin is like, uh, we can do that too. Guys, look at us over here. Look, we, oh, up and down. Oh, look at us. We're awesome. It's yeah. like, well, okay, sure. But it, it's like, it's like the jealous younger brother yeah. who's like, look what I can do. Look what I can do. It's like, okay, let, let the real, you know, demonstrations happen. And like, right. I, I think it's good for there to be competition, other people trying to do the same thing, but for sure, it's just different when SpaceX does it just because they are, you know, trying to send these payloads to the space station and then land that same rocket under yeah. different different circumstances and that kind of thing. So, cuz Blue Origin still hasn't done like a a landing where there's a horizontal velocity, right? It's all just up and down. Right. Right? Yeah. Or at least but, very minimal. Well, yeah, it's yeah, aside from just shift or whatever, but yeah. it's I think until you can get to the point where SpaceX is now where you can regularly you know, land a rocket after it's done something mm-hmm. more than just go up and down. Yeah. Then that's where you'll start seeing advancements in, in that kind of thing. Yeah. And even like Elon said, I think the day after, or maybe even the same day, 
he was quoted as saying, this isn't going to be like, we're not successful until this is routine. But that mission felt so routine. It felt like everything had been done so many times that it just went perfectly. He said that or you're saying that? He said that it's not it's not really a success until it's routine oh. because like you you don't want to send something up if it has a right. chance of but failing. You're saying it seems so routine. Yeah, I was. Oh, I'm okay. I thought that he said that it seems so routine. I'm saying it okay, looked right. super right. routine and right. not like I don't know if you've ever played. Um, I forget what it's called. That game where you try to land the like the lunar lander yeah. on a platform like the flash game or whatever. Right. No, I haven't played that one before. Um, but you're, you're familiar with it. Like you have I've a certain of amount before. of fuel and you're trying yeah. to land like that. And, uh, if you've ever played that, it's so easy to just kind of tap the fuel and like slowly, slowly, slowly drop down and keep it kind of steady and really maneuver. But with computers, like with the fact that that's a computer controlled process, I was so amazed by how little fuel they had to use to bring it down like they only really fired up the big rocket again to to actually kind of stabilize and get the the vertical uh speed to zero right at the very end it was for like two seconds and then it was just down Mm -hmm. it was really impressive as somebody who has tried many times to do that in that lunar lander game and failed miserably because you just like either either you'd kind of put too much energy in and you'd rocket back up a little bit or you would just crash into the platform at like 30 percent of your speed yeah. Well, I don't know how much of it now is all very algorithmically mm-hmm. controlled. And I'm sure a lot or most of it is. I think all of it is. I'm, I'm sure I'd imagine all of it is because you can program all that kind of stuff in based yeah. on, you know, components of velocity and fuel amount and all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. And, but just the fact that they're able to set that up for success is pretty impressive. And it, I think it shows that we do need that level of complexity versus just a human controlling it because that leaves so much room for error yeah i'm i'm curious if we'll ever get to the point where it becomes so routine that we're willing to let passengers be on that ship on the land the one that relands oh on the relanding one like i know it's the booster right now so it doesn't really apply but i'm curious if we ever get to that point where we'll be sending astronauts back in and using that as a landing method or whether we're just kind of drift and what purpose would you need i just think that would be so cool like (laughs) it because you'd have to you'd you'd have to re-enter like if you're if you're talking about astronauts then they're re-entering earth's yeah atmosphere Mm -hmm. which needs a certain amount of velocity right to re-enter earth's atmosphere I guess you need it to leave. Yeah. Like, why is it... Because if they don't need a certain amount of speed, like, why would they be coming in so hot? Like, not temperature-wise, but so yeah, quickly yeah. when they're actually coming in to land. Well, I just... It, it's, like, it's a very fast way to get back. Not worrying... I mean, I don't know what kind of G-force that rocket's under as it decelerates. But yeah. uh, I imagine... I wonder what terminal velocity is for that thing. Because it seems like it it's pretty stable. Like it's, it doesn't seem like it's coming to a jarring stop, obviously relative to like the vacuum of space. It's going, it's decelerating pretty quickly, but I'm curious to know what the maximum G force you go through is. Cause they, they always talk about the max Q. I think they call it the maximum force it, the, that is ever on the ship during acceleration. Like it's the point, it's the failure point where vibrations and all that could 
are most likely to kind of tear the rocket apart. Okay. But I'm curious if the if there's ever if the deceleration of that rocket ever gets like to the point that a human couldn't survive it because it seems like they would be able to survive it. Hmm. But yeah, you're right in that in theory why not just have like kind of a space shuttle kind of thing where it just glides in. Yeah, and lands on a runway. Right. I'm Or you're in or you're in the pod where you'd land in the ocean yeah. or that kind of thing, right? The the deceleration is an important aspect to think about because like when the one shuttle failure, the was it Columbia, yeah, the one Columbia. that failed on reentry. Oh, on reentry. Oh, yeah. I'm not sure about that one. I think it was Columbia, wasn't it? Challenger was the one that that failed as it went up, but I think it was Columbia that failed as it went down. It uh, it gets really hot, and I'm wondering if that's because of the surface area of the deceleration. If you had the like, obviously the SpaceX rocket doesn't get super hot as it's reentering. Because otherwise this whole system wouldn't work. But I'm curious to know the maximum G-force that rocket goes under. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I, we're not going to find that out now. But Well, in, think about. in theory, if it's just in free fall, it would just be 1G. I would it? guess. Or maximum 1G, anyways. Right. If it's going from 1 or 9.8 meters per second. Down, yeah. And then it's decelerating. So it'd be the deceleration G-force. Right. That you'd have to. Huh. Is that one G going from free fall to? No, free fall just in free fall is one G. If you're in free fall is one. If G. you're in free fall at terminal velocity, at zero Gs. Well, right, fine. If you're yeah. at terminal velocity, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but so that yeah, like it, the maximum G force you'd run into. I wonder what it would be if you just hit because if you hit the ground, it's at like infinite Gs going from <laughs> it was dead Gs, whatever speed to zero. <laughs> yeah. Right. But yeah, you'd have to see the the deceleration curve. Anyways, yeah. this is this is neither here nor there. Uh, so yeah, SpaceX incredibly exciting. I didn't see anybody else visibly like excited at Loblaws when this was happening. So I'm a little concerned with people's kind of disinterest in science. This is this is the coolest thing that's happened in science. Like obviously, there's like gravitational waves and there's the Higgs boson and all that. But like in terms of actual physical visible macro scale science this is the biggest thing that's happened since probably the space shuttle program started well i can't really think i of, think the Mar- mars is Mar- the mars landing that's true and and the the asteroid the the comet Philae? comet yeah Philae, yeah that one mm. was pretty big and pe- people knew about mars right a handful of people knew about Philae. right this one's kind of like private space travel. Like, I, I don't think. But they are NASA contracts. No, I know. But I, for, I don't. For I don't, me, it's the biggest. No, that's fine. And that's fair. But I wouldn't say people getting excited in Loblaws is an indicator of interest in science. I was disappointed that nobody else was like sitting there watching the stream on their phone like I was. Even if, if you had like Team Canada playing in the gold medal game for hockey in the olympics and you're at lobos you wouldn't see visible visual excitement as it was happening maybe maybe not maybe i live in a world that nobody else occupies where i would definitely be watching that game if i had to go like first of all i wouldn't go at that time if there was a game online i'd be (laughs) watching it but you would be empty if you're canadian and they're playing an important game but uh yeah i i live in a world where with an unlimited data plan i just sit there and i I'll stream any video from anywhere. 
and then I'll tweet about it. There have been times where I'll get a notification of something exciting happening. Mm-hmm. Again, I'll use Team Canada as an example. And if I got a you know an update saying, oh, they won the gold medal, I'd be visibly more Jazzed. cheery, <laughs> yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Like I wouldn't cheer in the middle of Loblaws, but I'd be visibly like, like, yeah, like, I don't know. I would I would at least tell the people I'm with. I like I always do whenever something like that right. happens. Because I'm usually the person that's actually paying attention to social media, even when I shouldn't be. I'll tell people <laughs> at least, I'll keep them informed as to what has happened since we started spending time together and nobody right. else has been on their phones. Right. I like to think that's my role. Um, we talked about SpaceX for much longer than I expected. Um, I just wanted to briefly mention how crazy it is that Tesla is now at 325,000 reservations. And... People have been talking about how they made billions of dollars. And even Elon Musk said this is the biggest pre-order day that anyone has ever done. And the truthfulness of that, or the, the not necessarily the biggest day, but the biggest three-day Campaign. period, the biggest week yeah. and whatever. While that might technically not be true, because apparently, like, I didn't know, actually know when I didn't make a deposit, I didn't, I thought I was screwing myself over, um, but that it was okay because these are deposits like you can't get this back. But apparently this is a refundable deposit. Oh, what? Down. Yeah. What's the point of that then? <laughs> well, I, I completely agree. But to gauge numbers, I think it's an it's an interesting sure, way but to do. But yeah. it's a no-lose situation. Right, exactly. So in theory, it's an interest-free loan to Tesla to, Tesla to make these cars over the next 18 to 24 months. And then much, possibly much longer because as people keep pointing out, right now they make something like between 10 and 50,000 cars uh, per year. And they've been saying they want to ramp up to 500,000 cars a year, which would make this this number of pre-orders fine. But it's something they're going to have to ramp this up if they actually want to match that. And whether they can actually do that, whether the Gigafactory is going to be enough to make enough batteries even for the, that amount of cars, whether there's enough lithium in the world for that amount of cars is still right. kind of unclear. And so they're saying that this, I think, the Gigafactory, the, the amount of lithium that's going to have to go into the batteries of these cars is makes Tesla's like the the number one kind of thing that lithium in the world is going towards now. Like, it's the biggest user of lithium is Tesla, hmm. just based on these pre-orders. It could be the kind of thing where you have the Apple pre-orders, and it's like, your estimated delivery date is <laughs> yeah. five months away. Well, like, <laughs> three years away. Yeah, in this case, it'd be longer than that, right? So. There might be a lot of cancellations if they give you the that window. Yeah. There might be a lot of cancellations where it's like, oh, I didn't realize I was going to have to wait two or three years for this. Yeah. But they're setting their... They're setting expectations low in advance by saying this isn't going to be until the end of 2017 anyways. Right. So you know you're waiting at least that long, or at least I would expect people know. Maybe they don't. Maybe they're thinking, oh, this can be like next this summer or something. So under what conditions can you get a refund on your deposit? I think cutoff date for that. I think you could theoretically request, and I I don't know this, but I I feel like you could request one at any, any time. And... But you don't have to commit to actually buying it until they say, we have your car ready, pick out your options and all this. And at that point, you can be like, no, I, I just actually want my money back. Hmm. So That's strange. It, it, it really is like a, a loan I guess, with no interest. Yeah. I guess either way, 
like they're making these cars. It's not like those cars aren't going to sell. Exactly. So whether it's the person who put the deposit down or someone else, then right. Tesla doesn't care. They're, yeah, it's going to, their, their ability to make cars is not going to keep up with demand for quite some time. And it Possibly. hasn't for quite some yeah. time. And, and honestly, if it was, if Tesla was thinking about this, which they obviously are, it'd be in their best interest to not keep up with demand yeah if that yeah, makes yeah. sense right like you want to it to be you, you want it to be an exclusive thing that people are longing after you you want it to at least be something that you if you're gonna get it you have to go out of your way to like commit to it as opposed to just being like oh yeah we can go to the tesla dealership and pick one up anytime we have to yeah be like, exactly All right, right put your name yeah. down on this list and maybe we'll let you have one. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. That's the yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. They were saying um on that note apparently the iPhone SE is now kind of a, a two or three weeks out if you go and try to get one. Okay. Which either means they did that that tactic or people really like this 4-inch phone. <laughs> As in like generating false lack of supply maybe either just the the demand was much higher than they expected and so they're having shortages or because i don't think i don't think they yeah. have any reason to google's been accused supply. of doing that with their nexus line before yeah like i think when the nexus probably, i i'd almost say with every nexus phone i think this last round with the 5x and the 6p was mm. the exception but up until that point every time they announce a new nexus phone and they put it on sale it's always 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 like run out of stock within that first week right and it's like oh we're and it's like okay guys you know this is going to be a popular phone why <laughs> wouldn't you sell more or yeah. build more right yeah. so I, I don't yeah yeah one of the products uh with the apple watch they announced they announced it and they said you can pre-order it and they'll ship by whatever day and then a bunch of people ordered it and so immediately the times shot up to like a two-month wait so people were ordering them with a two month wait in mind and then they shipped after five weeks. It could be a thing where they're, they, they build in that grace period for themselves in case they right. can't meet that demand. And if they do, they surprise their customers. Like that's, sure. that's why allow four to six, six weeks for shipping exists so that right. you can deliver it in three weeks, which is a really long time to wait. And people will be like, wow, they, uh, they over delivered. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, yeah. The fact that. Like I, when I ordered my last batch of Soylent bottles, I ordered it on Wednesday night and it got there Friday morning, but they said allow 10 days, 10 business days for delivery. Right. Like they want to have, they have that built in failure, but really if it did take 10 days to come from Mississauga, I would be very disappointed. Well, that's the whole thing. If, if I'm ordering from Quebec or not Quebec from BC, yeah, then it's going to take longer. But yeah, right. if you're ordering right next to Mississauga, then it'd be shorter. So mm -hmm. they give that longer range, right? So, Mike, you wanted to focus on a major, uh, I guess, a major topic for this episode, which whether or not that will actually be the case, judging from the fact that the first half of this episode has been talk about SpaceX and Tesla. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> but speaking of Tesla and pre-orders and reservations, um, you wanted to talk about making investments in technology, and I guess probably coming from personal investments in technology like the the amount of money or or whatever that you yeah. put into your personal mic technology yeah 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 like i think 
anyone who listens to this show and mm-hmm. for sure you and I, we look at technology closely and are probably always thinking about things that you might want. Oh yeah. Day. Whether, whether that is a real, a realistic want or not, that's its own thing, but we're always kind of looking like, Oh, that'd be cool to have, or what could I put into my house to, to do whatever. And a big thing these days has been smart home technology. So whether it's, um, you know, led lights or, uh, cameras or, you know, smart appliances, whatever. These are all things that you can invest in. They often cost, you know, a premium over top of regular, you know, stuff you'd put into your house. Mm-hmm. Um, that premium can range from minor to major. But anytime you want to invest in a technology, at least for me, I always think about what kind of lifetime am I going to get out of this? So if I'm going to buy something for $200, and I think, okay, this will last me 10 years. It's okay. That's 20 bucks a year to have this technology. Okay. That seems reasonable to me to mm-hmm. get the benefit from it. But if I'm paying $200 for something, it's going to last two years. Then it's like, okay, well, maybe I want to consider something else or that kind of thing. And that lifetime is determined by a number of factors. And I think in the past, it used to be just general build quality and, you know, the lifetime of a device that, yeah. you know, every device kind of has a lifetime. You can replace parts in it, but often it's more expensive to do that than to just buy a new thing. So generally that's where the lifetime kind of comes from. But now with more internet integrated devices, that lifetime is dependent on that device itself being supported and functioning with whatever services it relies on. Yeah. Um, so one example that I have is I have a home security camera system that is linked with a cloud service. Yep. Uh, similar to Nest. It's not the Nest system, it's the Arlo camera okay. system. Uh, and that's put out by Netgear. So when I was looking at different options, because we were looking for, because we go on vacation and stuff, we wanted kind of cameras around the property just to kind of keep an eye on things and, and see kind of make sure that everything was okay, whatever. So when I was looking at the options, I was looking at kind of the conventional home security system where, you know, you're wiring cameras into your house, you have a DVR, uh, generally there's an app that you can get or a website that you can log in and, and look at footage, that kind of thing. But not only are those things expensive, but they're complicated to put in and they're not very well integrated with a lot of other internet type services. Right. Uh, then you have stuff where it's, uh, internet only type services like nest only functions through the internet. There's no way to download or save the footage onto a hard drive. Right. So anytime you want to look at footage, you have to log on to the, your, your account online and manage your stuff from there. It doesn't get saved locally. And I didn't like that idea because yeah. I'm relying on nest or Google keeping that service around. And I want to be able to, you know, even after the fact, if that service goes away, to still be able to to use the footage just locally. Mm-hmm. Um, like D-Link has cameras and those all you're able to save locally. They have a cloud service as well, but the cloud service isn't necessary for the cameras to actually function. Right. Um, now this Arlo system I have, it has the cloud aspect, but the hub that it, the, all the cameras are linked to, they have USB ports on them. Okay. So in my research on it, their party line was that the USB support is coming. Mm. 
quote unquote. Right. Um, so that was enough for me to gamble on uh. saying, okay, right now it doesn't support local storage, but their device is literally set up for it. It has two USB ports on the right. back where you can hook in either an external drive or a, a jump drive or whatever. And they've come out and said, this support is coming. So to me, that was, okay, well, I'll take a gamble on it. And and Netgear is a big company. They have, they released a second gen of these cameras. Uh, So they're obviously continuing the support for the line. So it's not a one-off for them. So, you know, it was worth it for me. But that was kind of one of those judgments I had to make when looking at it. Um, Do you have anything that you could think of that you've had that same sort of judgment to make the same sort of thing where something isn't really supported and it might be in the future either that or you're investing in something that relies on a service to stay around to function well i mean other than a thing that i think there are a lot of examples of things that i like that i'm kind of investing in by paying for it but i i think in general it's more the actual service right like with a bunch of digital like apple music for instance sure i'm paying for it but if I, if it goes away, I stop paying for it and that's all I, like, I'm not, I don't have any physical thing that just is useless now. Right. I think the best an analogy that I can think of and tell me if, tell me if it isn't accurate would be like, uh, the iPad case and keyboard that I have. But that, again, that's not really a cloud service. Like if they stopped no. using it, the, the biggest thing that could happen is if I got a new iPad, right. if I got a new device Right. It might not fit with it and it doesn't fit yeah. with the new ones. Right. But that's still not really, the, I think, the same thing as no. you're talking about. No. I'll give another example with, with work where mm-hmm. we're looking to build a database of sorts. It's yeah. what it is. It's kind of irrelevant. But there's one option where it's an offline database that is completely managed locally that you can access online still or you can, or sorry, not online, but you can access it with multiple users through the network okay or you can have an online based database but it's strictly online like data is entered online it's visualized online and it's fully accessed online there's no offline aspect to it at the, all the difference being intranet versus internet it sounds like sure kind of. like this data this other database can access online components right. but it's not needed to function yeah. it can be completely okay. separate from the internet right so and you know, my manager was looking at this internet-based one. He's like, "Oh, I like the idea of it being—you can access it from the internet." I'm like, "Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. It's nice to have that, but it's only accessible through the internet, right?" And this service is like some, you know, Maps R Us type service. Like it's <laughs> it like that's a kind of exaggeration, but it's that kind of—it's not Google. Let's right. put it that way, right? It's not that type of thing where it's like, okay, this company's not going anywhere. You know, I guess Reader was kind of. <laughs> angered a lot of people but you know generally google will support their their services but i, well, I think that's coming that's becoming less and less the case we're gonna we're gonna talk about that a bit later yeah. um but and I, it wasn't help the the fact that it wasn't a google type company wasn't helping the fact helping yeah, like sure. it wasn't in favor of this service so anyway i was kind of more in favor of this other one and he kind of saw what i was saying and mm-hmm. kind of agreed um because of my experience with seeing services just dropped off the map yeah and uh, so the reason I want to talk about this today was there's a recent um, story that came out, that I guess it was May 15th of last year. Maybe the, this, this article came across my 
Twitter stream. Oh no, it's oh sorry, it's May fifteenth of this year is going to happen. Right. Like, this story came yeah. out recently that it was going to happen. Um, that Nest has this product that is acts as a hub for Internet of Things devices yeah. for a smart home. Uh, what's the product called? Revolve. Revolve. It it's a Nest. It's a company that Nest bought. Okay, sure. And Google bought Nest, and now right. that owns Google. <laughs> right. <laughs> So, so the, this hub acts as, I, I believe it integrates with even non-revolve devices. Okay. But I might, I might be wrong on that. When I read this article, it seemed that way, but it might all be revolve article or uh, devices that it links with. But anyway, this, this is basically a smart home system that this yeah. person bought and many other people bought. So when Nest bought it, it was still being supported, I guess. And then Google bought Nest and now, on May 15th, they're deciding to just shut the whole thing down. Yeah. Like, and, and not, we're not going to send updates for this anymore or not. We're not going to get offer tech support for it. It's just your device will not work anymore. Right. Not only are they not supporting it, but all the server stuff that is needed for it to communicate with anything will just be shut off. Like they, yeah. they're basically taking the brain out of this device remotely and it yeah. will not be able to do anything. Yeah. So it'd be similar to, you know, buying an Android phone and then Google deciding anytime, anyone who has a Nexus 4, your phone will not work anymore. Well, it will be yeah. as good as a coaster. It would be like if they said, oh, we're, we're stopping support for Google Play services. Like you wouldn't be able to download any apps. You right. wouldn't be able to run anything. Well, but see, at least you could still use your phone as a phone. I don't, this, this I don't know even if that you case. actually could because like. Maybe, maybe Google Play services isn't the best example, but like it's like taking – if Google Play services also controlled networking, it would be like, <laughs> okay, now <laughs> this – Yeah. I, I don't actually know. I don't – I'm not familiar with the Revolve as a product, but right. it might be that it's, it's not completely useless. This guy is hyperbolizing and saying it's literally completely useless. I, I'm not sure that's actually the case, but it's if it is – then it's like a very drastic thing where this yeah. just sounds like poorly designed hardware that it can't. Well, see, it's, I think it is that case, though, because yeah. when you're talking about a, a smart home system, it all communicates between different devices through an app. And if they're not, yeah, if, like you're saying, if they shut down the server side that does all the communicating, then that's useless. Like, right. yeah, you're... Your device might power on, but it's not going to be able to do anything. But I would think, like, and again, this seems like this is a technical level that I'm not, I don't have expertise in. But it seems like once you have a product like this, yes, it could communicate via the internet with with servers, kind of revolve servers acting as kind of in, in between. But if you have your phone on a Wi-Fi network and your these devices on the same Wi-Fi network as this revolve... It should be able to communicate using right. local radios and the the right. Wi-Fi. It should be able to yeah. do that. Like my, yeah. I, I guess there's a a similar service that I uh, use called Air Video that I use to play videos on my iPad or on my phone. I can play them over Wi-Fi when I'm here in Wi-Fi range, but if I leave, I can still play. I can still watch those videos through a cellular network. And so if this product went, if it went dark and the servers were shut off, I could still play things locally, but mm -hmm. I, if I left, I wouldn't be able to. And so I feel like this, it, it could, this revolve could have been built that way where 
when you're local, it uses Wi-Fi and doesn't need these doesn't need the servers. But if you try to use it cellularly, then it would need to communicate through the these Revolve servers. Right. Yeah. Like I think again, going back to the, the smart home aspect, we have like the video, the Ring video doorbell. Yeah. And it comes with a like I got into the beta program, I guess, and they sent me like this doorbell chime that you just plug into an outlet, hook into your Wi-Fi. And when the ring doorbell chimes or gets pressed, this thing goes off and mm-hmm. it communicates to your Wi-Fi network. So I guess that's kind of the same thing that if ideally if the ring servers went down, the, the doorbell should still be able to communicate with a chime. Yeah. In theory, because it's all locally on the network. But I, I I don't know what the line of communication is on a network level right? For for that. But I guess bringing this back to kind of the more general discussion do you think when you invest in technology and i guess smart home technology is a good example of this because they are often very service dependent yeah is that just a risk that people need to realize they're taking because i I don't think people realize that that risk initially yeah i i'm really really skeptical of smart home stuff in principle it seems amazing and i'm so excited for the thing that I have in my mind to be reality, but right now it isn't. And no company has really been successful. Like Google has Nest and they have this bunch of products. They've acquired Revolve. They've acquired Dropcam. They have a bunch of these devices that from companies they've bought and like services from companies they've bought. But like even the Nest engineering team, along with this, there was the whole thing. Uh, I think it was on Reddit. Some some Nest engineer posted this really scathing piece about um, how oh, toxic yeah. the engineering right. department is at Nest and how everything's falling apart. Since and, since Google bought them, yeah, since Google yeah. bought them, yeah. It seems like companies like Revolve, maybe immediately when they're first conceiving of the idea, they don't think about being bought, but. It's a reality that big companies, companies like Google or Alphabet, are known for buying big companies. And so companies actually do business specifically in certain ways to get acquired. Oh, for sure. That, that's the end game for, yeah. I'd say, most startups. For, for a lot of them, yeah. 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 And seeing that happen to Revolve and then, like, if this 17 months ago that, that it was bought seeing that happen in like a year and a half turnaround from it getting bought to devices that were specifically built with the service in mind being shut off like that this is worse than if it were a kickstarter that never got delivered like they gave you something and you're like this is so cool this is great yeah uh, i'm so glad we'll be able to do this forever now and then <laughs> right. a year and a half later it's like not only will we be shipping you no updates giving you no support <laughs> but also that thing you bought from us yeah it doesn't work anymore thanks for the money see ya and so you have to kind of think okay if i'm going to spend this couple hundred dollars on a thing i have to be okay with the reality that it is potentially a one year to two year product or possibly right. even less in theory like depending on on who exactly. is developing and supporting it yeah and how right. popular it is because if right if you like google reader for instance is a great example if every or even if let's say if google reader had a billion users they're not gonna shut it down unless it right. was unless it was costing them a lot and they just i don't didn't want to monetize it you could easily monetize google reader with even with just ads i don't right. understand why they wouldn't have just done that um but anyways, 
you have to have that business plan built in and considered. And if a, if a program like Google Reader has, let's say, 100,000 users that use it all the time, it's not popular enough to sustain itself. And so you, you can't just consider the goodness of the product because Google, Google Reader was objectively the best RSS reader any of us could have ever thought about. Mm-hmm. And, but it wasn't popular enough to sustain itself. And so despite being objectively great, it got shut down. So even if you go and buy an objectively great home automation product, there is a chance if it relies on kind of server communication that it will just cease to work at some point. Right. Like if Google Reader were a standalone thing and they just like if Google Reader, if Google released the source code for Reader and people could just clone it and make their own, that would be perfectly fine. I don't think mm-hmm. anyone would have any complaints, but that's not like they they took the technology, they took the the programming that had been done for it and put it into things like Google Plus and other products. I think we'll say, okay, when the Google Reader was shutting down, did Google come out and recommend Feedly as an alternative? Yeah, Feedly, Net, yeah. Newswire, I think News Blur. They recommended a few different Okay. Ones. Because I, I think Feedly was almost like the de facto alternative for for some most. for most people. I think Newsblur and NetNewsWire were also pretty popular. Okay. There's I haven't even heard of those two before. Oh. I only came across Feedly once. I was like, right. crap, what am I going to use now? Hmm. But like with smart home stuff, yeah, like you'd I don't know. I yeah, I think like you said, you just have to be prepared for the f- reality that it might not be as round as long as you right. hope. But, and that's the unfortunate thing with like a smart home system. There is quite a high monetary investment if you go all out and yeah. outfit your entire home with a lot of different things. Like if you take HomeKit, for example, for Apple, if you build your system around HomeKit and then all of a sudden HomeKit as a system goes away, mm-hmm. which in theory it will, it's just a matter of time. But <laughs> yeah, ideally, you know, it would last, I don't know, 20 years, like... Who knows? In theory, it would last. It would just be something that could run forever without any intervention. In theory, right? In theory, in an ideal world, it yeah. would. But that's that's not the case because Home HomeKit doesn't have an app. There's not. There's very like unless you own a smart thing that connects through it, you would have no idea on your Apple device that it exists. There, it doesn't. Sh- the word HomeKit doesn't appear anywhere until you hook something up to it. Okay. And so it could go away with a bunch of fanfare, but the thing about HomeKit is like they have a bunch of these now. They have they have like Game Kit, they have a Health Kit, they have HomeKit, they have Research Kit, they have they just introduced Care Kit at the last event. They have all these things that are their software development kits. They're ways their APIs and things and hooks for developers to to hook into Apple the Apple ecosystem. And so in theory, that's the kind of thing that doesn't take much work from Apple once they've, once they've put this kit out into the world. Developers can do with it what they will. And apparently, I was reading a thing the other day that, uh, Android is considering making Swift, Apple's programming language, into kind of a, a first class citizen on Android alongside Java, which is crazy. Like the, the fact that they went ahead and made this thing with, help from developers and then they put it they they just recently open sourced it and put a bunch of code on github like publicly everyone's allowed to suggest changes make pull requests i don't understand how github works because i've never had to (laughs) i've never used git before right but from everything i've heard they did it really well okay and 
So that's the kind of thing that I see people getting on board with. But increasingly, you see companies kind of tightly guard all their secrets and all their code and not let anyone else use it. And so it's, it's kind of refreshing when you do see a company that does that. But with the Internet of Things, everyone kind of wants a piece. There are, there are some groups that do open source stuff. Like I think Raspberry Pi is all open source, right? Yeah. So there are there are people trying to do the right thing kind of I don't want to say ethically because it's not really ethics but like in terms of tech best practices for stability and continuity there are companies doing the right thing but it's just the minority and when a when a startup like this gets bought you you have no expectation or you shouldn't have an expectation that they're going to stick by these best principles or best practices. Yeah. So I I haven't as it turns out, invest in any of these things, but also I'm now at the point where I, I guess I have been for a few years at the point that. See, no, but just before you continue, yeah, sure. like you have invested in them, but just your lifetime is <laughs> relative to these types of things is infinity. Like, well, I mean, yeah. Like, right. Like, like we were saying, like your phone could in theory stop working. Yeah. If it's just Rogers stopped being a company. Like they shut off all their services. Or even if you're saying like Google Play services stopped for yeah. whatever reason, stopped working mm-hmm. or Apple Play services, whatever. Like <laughs> I don't it, know what it, well, they're Cause Apple, called, but. Apple lets you hook up, look, hook into their, like you can send a push notification using Apple servers. Like I, I'm not sure if it's the only way you can do it or if it's an option, but you can, if Apple decided suddenly, oh, we need like push notifications aren't working out. We want to implement a new solution. Suddenly, all these companies would have no way of letting like Facebook would have no way of letting people know anyone commented or like posted on a group or whatever. Yeah. All these things that people depend on. There are ongoing server requirements like when when these uh, companies like Google and Apple have service pages where you just see a list of all the services and the fact that whether they're running or not at a given moment whether yeah. they're down yeah like bi- their businesses depend on these ongoing services being like having 100 percent with an yeah. asterisk uptime yeah and if they if they go down then a bunch of customers are going to be unhappy yeah if you ever if you've well, you've jailbroken your i have yeah. before right yeah I don't know how it is when you jailbreak, but when you root an Android phone, you can look at similar lists mm-hmm. of all the services that are running. And when I was, when I rooted the Nexus 7 tablet that we have, yeah. um, it kept asking, like, so the rooting went well, the flashing of the new OS went well, yeah. but it kept saying, oh, there's an update, install it. There's an update, <laughs> install it. And it would just be a persistent notification saying there's a new update to the operating system. Huh. And I was like, how do I make this go away? Because yeah. you couldn't swipe it away. You couldn't do anything. It was just always there. And I'm like, this is and annoying. It's going to be accidentally pressed and it's going to update and all this work's going to go to waste. Oh, so you're saying when there was, there were, there literally was a system update. Yeah, it was because I rooted it. That there yeah, was one. I, yeah, so I yeah. rooted it and then flashed an older version of the OS because the newest, I think it was Jelly Bean, when Nexus 7 got updated to Jelly Bean, mm-hmm. it made it the worst tablet on earth. <laughs> and... I was like, this is working beautifully previously. Right. So I wanted to send it back. Actually, no, it got updated. No, it got updated to KitKat. So Jellybean was working fine. Okay. And then it got updated to KitKat. And then it's like, wow, what is going on here? Mm-hmm. So 
I want to put it back to Jelly Bean, but there's no way to do that without rooting it and then flashing the old, the old OS. Yep. So that's what I had to do. And then, yeah, I was saying it wanted me to re-update to KitKat because it was pulling it from the server saying there's a new update for your device. Yeah. So in order to make that notification go away, I had to literally go in and modify, like toggle the service for, you know, fetch operating system updates to to no, to false. And then the notification went away and it was fine. But, you know, you'd have to go through all those services and... Yeah, there are a ton, a ton, ton of services all within these different categories that this tablet relies on to work mm-hmm. and that you can easily turn on and off. But obviously, you're not supposed to be able to. Right. Um, but yeah, like you were saying, there's there's so much stuff going on in the background that makes these devices work that if any of them decide to go down, then that could just brick your device. Right. That It's funny that you say that because the 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 thing that I was talking about wasn't that. That that is also a very important thing, but the the, the one that I'm talking about, um, I actually have them bookmarked on my computer. Actually, speaking of of these companies, Adobe also has a page like this, um, just called uh, a status dashboard. And so, like, if you go to apple.com/support/system/status, you can see as of 11:38 Eastern, uh, which is the time currently, they have like. 30 or 40 different things like i can see that beats one the radio station is is currently functioning find my friends like they're all right now they're all green but if there's any issues like i can see here i can go and click that right now there are no important issues but like if if uh iMessage goes down it'll this will display with a yellow or a red if it's completely down like all these oh, cloud services that are required okay, so, yeah i see that now yeah google has one called google.com slash app status apps status and so I can see that I can actually see here on April 4th, um, between 10.50 a.m. and 12.47 p.m., Google Drive, uh, they're investigating reports of an issue, provide more information shortly, affected users cannot edit folders they own within Google Drive. Like they, they mm. all the big tech companies have these service status pages. It's almost like a down for everyone or just me. Exactly. Type thing. Yeah. <clears throat> and so... There are all these things working on the back end that we don't really think about. Like for for these 40 or 50 Apple services, if any of them didn't work at any given time, a bunch of people would immediately be like, hey, Siri doesn't work. Like what's going on? And it, it's just down. But we don't really think about all the resources it takes to have it running constantly across the world. Right. <laughs> when you, And you can quickly see why you need these giant server farms yeah. and tens of thousands of staff right managing it where yeah. one guy's job is literally to make sure that google drive is working right maybe not one guy one team's job is to make sure that google drive is running yeah just so i don't know how much more you have to say on this we we talked about keeping the episode relatively short we're already at like 50 minutes um but i i wanted to talk like extend this argument to not just hardware that has a shelf life but software that has a shelf life and we have taught, we have talked personally, you and I, for many years about specifically this. I think this, like Google does this a lot, but it's not the only company that obviously kind of has products that seemingly have a shelf life. There's like an ongoing joke. There's like an internet graveyard of Google products, the products that Google has killed over the years. And we talked about Reader earlier this episode. Um, but it seems like with a company like Google specifically, I don't know why, but 
they build communications products that have a shelf life. Whether, whether you see it or not when you're using it, they do. They had Google Buzz. They bought a company called Orkut, I think it was. I never actually used it, but they yeah, bought that. Yeah, I remember hearing it. about that, yeah. Uh, they had Google Wave, which was I awesome. think Orkut was like a social network. Yeah, it was, it was a social than, network. Yeah. Um, but so they had, they've had, like they had Gmail, obviously that's a huge one. Uh, they've had Google wave, they had Google plus now it's, I mean, Google plus is changing constantly, uh, trying to find its kind of niche. Um, they had hangouts, they had hangouts, <laughs> they had the hangouts, the video tool, and then they had hangouts, the chat tool. They had G chat. Yeah. G chat. Um, they went to Google Hangouts as the SMS replacement on Android, and then they switched back to Messenger. Like they're all over the map. Now we have in our notes for well, for possibly a future episode where we'll talk in yeah. more detail a, a group conversation app called Spaces. Like they have, and they have oh, like Gmail has been supplanted now in their in development by Inbox. Right. It, it's a it thing. is so hard. Okay. Yeah. Minor rant. <laughs> if you switch to Inbox as your default email view when you log into gmail it is so hard to go back to gmail like oh, to yeah. tell google to go back to gmail oh wait like okay yeah. well okay there, there's a tab there is now yeah there is okay there's a tab to go back to gmail mm-hmm. but when maybe this is more just when i'm on my phone trying to use desktop view because there's certain functions in gmail which is its own thing there's certain <laughs> functions in gmail you can't do unless you're in a desktop view okay Okay. Like you can't but, do in the app, first of all. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. But so when you go and you try to do desktop view and you log into Gmail, it directs you to inbox yep. because that's what your account set up for. Yep. And then you try to go to Gmail and then it takes you to mobile view of Gmail. Right. And then you try to go to desktop view and it takes you back to inbox. And it's like, oh my gosh, just take me to the desktop view of Gmail. Right. And it's so annoying. I but. think, I think there's a toggle that you can change because I know... At one point, I was using, like, I use Inbox all the time now. I don't use anything else. Yeah. Right. Um, there was a thing where if you typed in Gmail, it would send you to Inbox. And it would say, if you want to right. return to Gmail, just like Google Photos did with Google Plus yeah. Photos. Um, and now there there is a Gmail button that will take you to Gmail in Inbox on the desktop. Yeah. But Inbox is now my default. At one point, there was a pop-up that said... We can direct any Gmail to yeah. inbox all the time. We can just make inbox your thing. And I was like, yes, I'm all in, in. Yeah. And so I said, yes, which makes me think there has to be a way to revert that. There has to be a right. toggle somewhere in Gmail settings to not open inbox by default. Yeah. I would never do that because I am all in on inbox. Like I hate yeah. gmail.com now. <laughs> I am all inbox all the time. Well, see, for why everything. can't they just integrate? the same function that inbox has into gmail like what like like reminders like or not reminders but wrote like Cast, snoozing keep, snoozing an email oh like i love snoozing an email i That's, get it because they like gmail i don't know maybe correct me if i'm wrong because i don't use it anymore but development on gmail the the web app and etc on the the mobile app has stagnated like it's not being developed right. whereas inbox is being developed constantly right and i get it inbox is the future of where google is going with email and there's Maybe. a reason because it's great but but like we were saying 
we're all going to get all up in inbox and then it's like oh sorry we're we're canning this not go back sorry to though like not well it's sorry not sorry can it would they can it or would they come up with a new thing i at this point i wouldn't be surprised if they just they just say, cancel google email they're already going to start doing that with hangouts i can feel it hangouts is dying yeah they um <laughs> hangouts is an interesting thing because clearly the hangouts team wants to do things but it seems like higher ups have been like, no, this isn't really catching on the way we wanted. They're they're trying to be like Facebook Messenger, but they're not those, as good and as Facebook Snapchat. Messenger. But the the purpose isn't the same. Could, like, so when Hangouts they're used first, differently. Yeah, when Hangouts first launched, um, it was the best thing. It was the absolute best communication sure. tool at that time. At the time that it launched, exactly, it was great. It was the, I think it was one of the first things that had a mobile and desktop button where you could click like video and it would open a video with more than one person. Now, it was competing against Skype at that point. Skype didn't have group messaging yeah. at that point. Right. So Skype was the only other thing and then yeah. Hangouts came out. And, then, and Skype yeah. wasn't really on the web. It is now more or like maybe officially, but at the time it wasn't. And now Hangouts is not the best. Facebook Messenger is the best uh chat platform maybe depending on what you're using it for snapchat might be of interest to people who are more flexible in their gray matter uh so young people in this case or people who are willing (laughs) to at least pretend like act like young people in their kind of being okay with change but facebook messenger is amazing the fact that you can go and you can send text messages like regular chats yeah you can send sound, you can send video, you can send pictures, you can send GIFs really, really easily and quickly. Yeah. You, you can, can send, send stickers. Facebook posts, you can send... Yeah. you can send links that will yeah. expand. Like, you, it's amazing. Facebook Messenger is great, except for certain edge cases, which, like, thing, like reasons to use Slack is the edge mm-hmm. cases that Facebook Messenger doesn't cover. But otherwise, I actually don't like, other than the video aspect of Hangouts, I don't like Hangouts anymore because Facebook is messenger is so much better yeah um but yeah i I see what you're saying about hangouts the messaging part possibly not necessarily going away but kind of being relegated to kind of gchat status where it doesn't get updated just kind of sits there as it is and eventually gets replaced by something else oh we forgot for other messaging they have Google in within Google Drive, they have a messaging chat oh function, <laughs> which for some reason isn't Hangouts. And then even even in the Hangouts video, the chat isn't Hangouts. Oh man! It's, you know what? <sighs> you you remember when the the, the there was a couple scandals that came out where it came out that people were communicating illicitly or illegally or whatever <clears throat> through gmail but they weren't sending email messages they were leaving messages in draft and then just kind of adding to a message in draft so they never actually sent emails so there was no paper trail oh. of emails they just both had an account login both had account login information right. and they sent drafts back and forth um <clears throat> by just ed- like editing a draft yeah, exactly. and having a conversation right but that you eventually get caught because there's a record of it on the servers right but if you used google drive chat to communicate things <laughs> that nobody would ever see it because it it's super like it's more ephemeral than snapchat is where does that text go it's just <laughs> oh it's so impersistent 
the only time Snap or Google Drive chat ever works is when two people who know how to use Drive and use it and are using it on the desktop are both in their document at the same time. Like otherwise, like it's it's the same with I think it is the exact same thing as um, this this chat we're in right now, this Hangouts video chat, like the little chat bar on the side. That's super ephemeral and it shouldn't this should be the Hangouts chat. Why isn't it that? You should. I bet I guess you're talking about the illicit messaging. Mm -hmm. You could just open a Google Drive document and just both be in there typing. But then that would get saved like that would get saved to the server because it saves as you type. It auto saves. Right. But that chat doesn't get saved anywhere right and well not that we know of i mean i guess but it doesn't show up the next time you open the document (laughs) like right yeah it it's bizarre how hangouts hangouts could be better than facebook messenger if hangouts introduced a gif button and became the thing like if if i open a video chat with you with just you and i yeah from hangouts and there's a chat button in the Hangout window that we open. It should be that Hangout. Why is it a little group <laughs> chat window that disappears when you close it? But it's, it's, it's stupid because within the Hangouts app, after this podcast, mm-hmm. there will be a little thing saying you're in a video yeah. call with Future Chat yeah. and whoever. It's like, this is literally in my Hangouts app. Why is there not a Hangouts chat? Yeah, it's bizarre. <laughs> and so there are a few things like integrating it into Drive integrating it like you could have with i mean facebook could also do this better because like you can start a a chat in facebook messenger with all the people attending an event or in a group or whatever and that will not remain connected to that group or event or whatever so if hangouts did that if they just said you're in this hangout we'll give you a chat bar on the side but it will be the chat that you were previously in Mm -hmm. and if they did that for Google, google drive where you started a hangout in a document and that that conversation was saved in your conversations list referencing that document yeah right it would be fantastic it would be it would be the premier service like similar to what dropbox paper is doing i believe i haven't actually used dropbox paper but that's the idea where you have a like a conversation associated with a document right and one well, slack has the same slack ha- slack yeah can't you can kind do of. it with you like pinning documents and starting yeah. stuff but it's not it's not necessarily exactly like that unless you explicitly did that which you could like you can add a topic that had a link to a document yeah but well you, well, you can you can post a file or whatever and comment on yeah, that exactly file. that that, so that, that this, yes you can yeah. do but that's not not the same it's not no, the same thing i'm referencing it's also a good feature <laughs> yeah yeah but, but anyway oh man who Google's bizarre and I have no like when when they launched Google Plus I was like this is awesome I'm going to tell everybody but at the same time in the back of my mind I was like how long is this going to last <laughs> not just not because it's not good but because Google doesn't know how to handle communications products in the long term and right. inbox is a great implementation of them doing that. This it's the first time I've seen them actually do it really well where they they still have Gmail and all your messages sync in both like it, it you're accessing the same mailbox but uh, it, like it sounds like you haven't you don't use inbox you use gmail no no i use inbox exclusively okay unless i need a gmail function that inbox doesn't like, have like what because i don't need any maybe it's just that i've 
taken anything that did out of my workflow, but I don't use yeah, any like, Gmail function. Ever. I just know, I just know that there's times where I'm needing to go to Gmail. I, I'd have to, I'll, next time I do it, I'll let you know. The, yeah. The only thing I can think of that I would do, but I'm fine not, I guess, is marking a message as unread. That's the only thing you can't do in inbox, but they, cause they want you to pin right. messages. But, That's the other thing. Yeah. When you read it, when you read a message in inbox, for me, it doesn't show up as read in Gmail, not right away. Really? At least in the app. Oh. Maybe it's just more my widget. My widget doesn't update because I have an inbox. I have a Gmail widget, but inbox doesn't have a widget right. for some reason. So then I'll go to my inbox to re email, but then it still shows as unread in my Gmail. Huh. So I have to go into my Gmail. Yeah, that's frustrating. That's stupid. But, but anyway. Also, sounds like that widget is pretty redundant <laughs> for you. <laughs> no, because then I can, like, when I swipe by it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I have, right. haven't read that message yeah. or whatever. I, I, I've actually had a couple of things, speaking of email and, and communicating. I don't like email for communication now. Like it's, it's almost akin to a phone call for, for personal things. Obviously there are some things you want to do via email, but for personal messages, like for some reason, for whatever reason, when I say something like on a podcast or something, um, or like when I, when I, like I have a loan with my parents, when I send them a, a payment towards the loan, they'll respond to that email with an email and I, like, I don't, I don't send personal emails anymore. So that is the same thing as just like calling me, whereas I don't right. like it. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, I've come to, if I just need to ask a quick question, that's not going to be a conversation, I'll send a text. Yeah. Like, or slash Slack message, whatever, mm-hmm. just an instant message. Email for something that will need to be referred to later and might lead to a conversation and a phone call if it's like an emergency yeah. and I need an immediate real time answer yeah. that I don't want to wait around saying, when is this person going to respond? Yeah. Email is really good. Just work wise for just keeping a conversation. Yeah. And then, you know, your previous messages stay with it. So someone jumps in, they can see the previous thread, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. For but, me, it's a to do list or a, th- a list of things I want to be reminded of. But like I have, if I have any personal emails in my email inbox right now, I'm just sitting there like, oh, I don't really want to answer this right now, but it has to stick here. And then it ends up getting pushed down to the point that I go and look at the bottom of my email and I'm like, oh, I didn't answer that person. That was like six weeks ago. So, yeah. uh, oops. <laughs> <laughs> I like in, in Outlook, they have a reminder function mm-hmm. where you can like set a reminder for an email. Yeah. So not even like, so it will pop up the email that you wanted to they, and be reminded of. Gmail, Which, like with the snooze, inbox has the same thing. No, and that's why I love the yeah. snooze because I'm like, I'm going to respond to this tomorrow. I don't want to respond to right. it right now, but I don't want to read it and then forget about it. Yeah. So I'll just snooze it till when I know I'll be able to reply to it. Yeah. I, I need to do that more because I have a few things that either I'm never going to answer or like I have things that I've snoozed a month ago that I still haven't dealt with. <laughs> I'm just like, ah. And then so I end up so snoozing it So do you just again. snooze it un- indefinitely or do you just keep snoozing it every I, time? It pops I snooze up? like a week or I snooze the, oh, until the next week yeah. and then it just shows up again and it just stays there again. But yeah, email is not my preferred method of communication, <laughs> nor is phone calls like instant messaging, no matter what you use. But Hangouts is becoming less and less kind of the thing I want to use. Uh, yeah. My, my mom actually has kind of gotten that message recently and is sending me messenger chats now, right. which I kind of like. Yeah. Yeah, my boss, he started texting me because mm-hmm. he he's he's a phone call all the way. If he has a choice, he'll phone call. <laughs> right. And it'll be like, 
he'll anal- it's like it's literally a question that he could text and that's a yes or no yeah, answer yeah, yeah. and it's like and i'll be like and i i normally won't say it but i'm like you could have just texted yeah. that and i could just and if it's urgent i get wanting just that yes or yeah, no immediately but that's the thing these aren't even urgent right. things it's like it's more like for yeah. information yeah yeah <laughs> it's like i don't know he's but he's he's just set in his ways like that. It, it's it's he's, the synchronicity versus asynchronicity like for that i want to use more voice messages where i'm like I'm, i'll send a voice message but i'm not like ringing their phone and like they have to answer immediately like it's a thing that here's here's the thing you can listen to and then respond in whatever way you like but right. it doesn't have to be right now <laughs> yeah like i see the value in phone calls where you know you want to communicate tone mm-hmm. and just whatever but when it's just fyi type stuff is like just at at the most in an email yeah just or a text mm-hmm. so i think that might be it do you have anything more you wanted to say on, on communication or on anything of that i sort? don't think so i think it's more we need this is like a psa type thing it's <laughs> if you're gonna if you're gonna invest either emotionally or financially into technology be prepared for it to not be around as long as right. you'd like. There, actually, there was one thing I wanted to say, and this is something that I don't think Julia really gets about me and technology, is that like when I buy an iPhone or an I, any any yeah, product, tech product, yeah. for me, that, that built-in lifetime we've been talking about is a year. I'm like, in, I know in a year I'm going to get a new one. And so well, my re- the resale value doesn't go down that That's not lifetime, much. though. That's just planned oh, No, I agree. It. It's, it's yeah planned obsolescence by me like i know sure. i know the product is still going to be valuable to a certain demographic and so i can sell it at a fairly high price right. later right but so like my ipad 4 i'm having trouble selling it because nobody wants it anymore because it's like it's garbage i want to get some money out of it right. but i'm having a hard time doing that right that's why i upgrade Where's, every year because there is value in a one-year-old one but there's not value in a four-year-old one right when for me like when we bought our our note fours I plan on keeping like this is like the perfect phone for me, right. like the size and the capability of it and just the functionality of being able to have like the pen and all that kind of stuff. It's like the perfect marriage between a tablet and a phone. Yeah. And so when I like we bought a handful of extra batteries, like new OEM batteries for it because sure. it has replaceable batteries and because the battery is what tends to just dictate the lifetime kind of mm-hmm. if the non replaceable is like if your battery only lasts two hours and it may as well not be a useful phone. And like, that's why we bought the battery packs, like the power banks for the Nexus phones that we had. Right. But in this one, it's like, I want to be able to just throw a new battery in there and have it be like new because in essence, it should be like new yeah. if the battery life is, is good. Right. So we, we plan on, you know, until they literally just stop working for some reason, <laughs> then there's, there's no plan. And we've never been the type to just try to resell technology. And that's just, just me i yeah. guess i i always try to resell technology yeah. because it's it subsidizes the next purchase right well see maria does that all the time with purchases for like the house and for emma right. like when she buys clothes like especially for clothes yeah she'll like she'll say don't get this dirty then i won't be able to resell it <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i'm like hun it's a three dollar shirt <laughs> <laughs> but but she'll she'll buy like two hundred dollars of clothes at once and then resell it for two hundred dollars right like or maybe 150 or sure. 170, whatever. Yeah. But we literally got a year's worth of use out of those clothes for 30 bucks. Yeah. Which is like, that's sweet. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. And that that's, yeah, that's how I feel. I Like I right. have always budgeted to have money in order to spend a couple hundred dollars every year upgrading each of my right. technology things. Right. 
And when it when it doesn't work out that way, when I have an iPad four left over from 2012, <laughs> I get very sad because I'm missing out on a bunch of features. Right. So you guys did get a new iPad then, right? I got her one because she has an iPad three. Okay. So I I got her one for Valentine slash her birthday, and now now we're at the point where I'm I'm once I sell this one, I'm going to get a new one, but. She's at the point now where she's like, just take mine, just have mine. I don't yeah. like you obviously need it more than me. And I'm like, no, you need it more than me. Yours is even older. And but why don't you give her the four and you can take hers? No, she does. She wants a new one. And I, I get I totally get that. I'm on board with that. She's going to take her old one to her classroom. Oh, and uh, yeah, so it yeah. it all works out. Um, I just have to sell this thing that nobody wants. Someone offered me $150 for it. That's a good deal. It's not. For a 2012 piece of technology. It's not a good deal. Come on, Rob. Get, my Nexus 4, I couldn't pay someone to take it with a battery But the like Nexus 4 started at $300. This is like a $900 tablet. Is it? Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. Anyways, um, we've gone extremely long. So I will take this opportunity to say thank you for listening to this week's episode of Future Chat. We'll be back next week with more science and tech talk and head to unwindmedia.com slash future chat for this and past episodes and much more. See you next time. Ciao.